Disloyal is a podcast committed to a broad representation of thought, ideas, and creative imaginings. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast do not necessarily represent the opinions of the staff, management, board, or volunteers of the Jewish Museum of Maryland. I think that any kind of engagement with transness and Jewishness feels exciting to me. I think that there is very little of it and it and it actually feels like a I would say not just a trans practice but actually like quite a queer practice of sort of not seeing yourself reflected in the world around you and so needing to look deeply creatively at that world to interpret what you're seeing as queer. Welcome to Disloyal, a podcast from the Jewish Museum of Maryland. I'm your host, Mark Gunnery. Today on the show, we're continuing our series on offense around the Torah, the Jewish Museum of Maryland's latest contemporary art exhibit. It explores how Jewish communities navigate the concepts of safety and unsafety in traditional, contemporary, and futuristic ways. I'm speaking with the artists and curators who made the exhibit possible. You can experience the art from this exhibit at offensearoundthetorah.com. And today, I'm joined by Nikki Green. Nikki Green is a transdisciplinary artist working primarily in clay. Her sculptures, ritual objects, and various flatworks explore topics of history preservation, conceptual ornamentation, and the aesthetics of otherness. Green has exhibited her work internationally and contributed text to numerous publications, including Transgender Studies Quarterly and Fermenting Feminism Copenhagen. In 2019, Green was a finalist for the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art's SICA Award. A recipient of an arts industry residency from the John Michael Kohler Art Center, among other awards. Green lives and works in the San Francisco Bay Area, but is currently a resident artist at Cal State Long Beach. Nikki Green's contribution to a fence around the Torah is called Sabbath Croc and it invokes both mikvahs, or Jewish water immersion rituals, and fermentation. Nikki Green, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm also joined by Leora Ostroff. Leora Ostroff is curator in residence here at the Jewish Museum of Maryland, where she curated a fence around the Torah. She is a painter whose work explores themes like queerness, Jewishness, violence, and the idiosyncrasies of life in Baltimore. Leora Ostroff, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mark. Nikki Green, I want to start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your art practice? Sure. So I'm an artist and I like to use the language transdisciplinary because I primarily work in sculpture and kind of three-dimensional forms. I'm really, I kind of identify as um, like an object maker, but I do a lot of work two-dimensionally. I do a lot of drawing and painting that I think both informs the sculptural work, but also is a practice or our practices autonomously. So 
I like to work in a lot of mediums, across mediums, and I tend to look at a lot of, I would say, Jewish history, Jewish practice, Jewish mythology um, as a reference point, as well as um, queer uh, kind of cultural material. And for me, as a queer, trans, Jewish person, I'm really interested in the way in the ways that these identities and these ways of being in the world intersect with each other. And so I think my practice or my practices are about exploring the ways that these, what felt like for a lot of my life, disparate identities intersect and inform one another. And so, you know, I really, I think as an adult entered, I like to say sort of back into um, a relationship with my Jewish um, identity and practice through art making and through object making in particular, and was just really thinking a lot about the ritual objects that I grew up with and the significance of ritual practice, but also the the tools that allow us to engage with those rituals um, and to really consider what uh, what ritual objects might look like if they were being produced for queer and trans Jews explicitly. The piece you submitted to a fence around the Torah is titled Sabbath Croc. Can you describe what it is, what it looks like, and why you wanted it to be in this exhibit? Sure. So Sabbath Croc is a fermentation croc. And when I had originally been asked to produce a Shabbat ritual object by the Contemporary Jewish Museum of San Francisco. This was many years ago. They they have a series of invitationals around ritual objects and the production of new ritual objects. I started to think about what a queer Shabbat ritual might look like. And um, for a long time, I was doing a lot of research and thinking through fermentation as this kind of queer ritual, this queer practice, specifically this idea that the transformation inside of a fermentation crop is this kind of um, alchemical, magical sort of practice where vegetables like, you know, cucumbers or like cabbage are sort of being transformed into these living sort of bubbly, sparkly fermented foods. And there was something that felt very queer about that, that interest alongside this kind of formative relationship with deli culture, growing up in the Boston area and spending a lot of time in New York and just these kind of like rich East Coast Jewish communities pickles and fermented foods felt really significant to me. So in a conceptual sense, ferments as a sort of um, Shabbat ritual felt kind of exciting and felt like an interesting way to kind of fold transformation into, you know, a Shabbat practice that is really kind of like about rest and 
engaging with sort of like slowness and repair and relaxation and sort of what does it mean to include not just the kind of say richness of like hala, but to bring in the kind of like magicalness, the sparkliness, the queerness of pickles into that. So I kept sort of thinking, could I create a crock that was specifically meant for Shabbat pickles that could say ferment all week and then be like opened on Shabbat to enjoy and sort of revel in the deliciousness and kind of magic of fermentation. So the the object itself is a kind of cylindrical vessel that sits on top of a cylindrical base and has these kind of protruding almost like spouts that stick out from the underside, which is a reference to another interest of mine, which is Delftware and the kind of ornately painted domestic object, domestic ceramic object, um, and specifically the tulipier form, which is this vessel that is really there to not hold a bundle of flowers like a vase would, but to actually separate stems, individual stems of flowers and sort of look at the specificity of, in a Dutch sense, like the tulip. And there's something to me, I think, formally that feels really exciting about the separation of flowers and the repetition of spouts as a kind of ceramic anatomical feature. And so this base has these kind of spouts. Um, the texture is this kind of goopy, fungusy, kind of cellular texture, which is another interest of mine. Fungus and mushrooms are sort of an avenue of research that I'm really interested in. And so sort of hybridizing the fermentation vessel with fungus felt really exciting. And then on the exterior of vessel is a concentric painting of a figure of a, I would say, sort of androgynous figure that is sort of walking down into water and then walking back up out of water and then walking back down into water and back up this kind of like repetition and circularity of immersion. And, you know, I think a lot of the work I do is anchored in a real kind of interesting commitment with mikvah, with bathing and ablution rituals, kind of across religious practices. But, you know, in my case, I'm Jewish. And so that's kind of like the most immediate relationship to mikvah. So pairing or sort of folding fermentation into like bodily immersion felt interesting, exciting. I think it still feels kind of fascinating to me. I don't know that I'm like settled on it, but to me, that's, that's kind of the point of the work is to sort of propose these kind of connections. Leora, I want to turn to you. You are featuring Sabbath Croc in the queer life section of A Fence Around the Torah. First, can you remind us about the questions you were trying to ask with the queer life section? And how do you see Nikki Green's work responding to them? 
So I think one implicit question in the exhibition was what are the different types of safety that we're discussing? Because besides physical unsafety, these artists also discussed emotional and psychological safety and safety as a sense of secure belonging. And two of the questions that both Green and Layden addressed in their work were how does unsafety and exclusion affect personal relationships with Judaism and Jewish community? And how do we imagine the Jewish future and safety for marginalized people. And I think that both Green and Layden approach these questions from a place of strength. Nikki Green describes her ceramic work as carving out space for trans Jews, imagining how ritual or everyday objects can reflect trans experience. And as she writes, what these objects might look like if they were designed for our bodies explicitly. And I think that her queer ritual objects do two things. They address the extent to which trans people have been excluded from how we imagine Jewish life. And they also participate in the expansive project of reimagining Jewish life and ritual for marginalized bodies and marginalized identities. Um, so I see Nikki as part of a growing movement of Jewish artists who reassess ritual objects for present times and for complex identities, including other artists in the this exhibition, such as Ariel Tonkin and Bal Schlossberg. And I think that the same movement includes writers who reimagine liturgy, ritual leaders who adapt Jewish observance, and scholars who elicit new understandings of foundational texts and stories. I want to zoom into part of that because you said that one of the focuses of the queer life section is how unsafety and exclusion affect personal relationships within Judaism and Jewish communities. Why did you think it was important to bring in that element of personal relationships into this exhibit? Because the personal is political, and um, this is a deeply political exhibit, which I can't deny. And when we're talking about any of the topics discussed in this exhibit, like political dissent or racial profiling or intergenerational dialogues, et cetera, we're making it personal. And that's also the purpose of showing art. I think that artists can take these big topics and show us a very personal lens, an individual human being's experience, and that's powerful. That's a powerful way to address these questions. I think that there's also something quite profound in considering the relationship of text as a as a reclamation. It makes me think a lot about how as a say progressive Jew or like a like a Jewish person who's looking both at historical text but also really kind of digging into translation and evolution of those same texts and the kind of working through and driving forward conversation around text, it really makes me think about how translation is a, as a practice is a shifting, transforming, almost a curatorial practice of changing something and reinterpreting it. I think that when I consider the the work that I'm doing, it feels like it's about translating something in looking at kind of a historical object, a historical practice, and then evolving it or sort of like driving it forward into a different space and sort of thinking about it as it might be considered through the lens of queerness or transness. And and I guess I'm just, I'm thinking a lot about how as an artist, as a visual artist, I'm 
indebted to the writers and the creative people who are engaging text creatively. Um, so somebody who sort of pops up in my mind, maybe aside from the brilliant, brilliant, um, inspiring Joy Layden, Andrew Raymer is somebody who I'm incredibly inspired by. And I actually think his work of um, queer midrash, this kind of like queer interpretation of biblical text really inspired the way in which I think about the, you know, sort of power and ownership I have over ritual practice, ritual object, and really kind of my my own Jewish practice um, to sort of see Midrash as this really kind of subversive way of engaging text and driving it forward, driving it into a new kind of shape and form. And I think that that power, that kind of empowerment, self-empowerment, and hopefully empowering of others to sort of do the same is what sort of, for me, creates that level of safety. It's about kind of like accessing some kind of ownership and control and ability to feel kind of engaged with the subject. That's great. Cause I was going to ask you who inspires you. And also I like to make paintings that I think of as visual midrash. Mm. So I love that. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, that's really exciting. And I think midrash is like such a important part of Jewish text kind of engagement. Midrash is like this active engagement with text, this kind of like um, pulling apart and exploring a text creatively. And Andrew Raymer's work, I think like across the board has felt really inspiring to me. And he in particular worked on the Sha'ar Zahav um, Sidur, which is pretty huge around kind of progressive and also sort of like gender inclusive and kind of queer inclusive Sidor production and sort of like um, liturgy production. And when I first encountered that text or that sort of series of texts, I reached out to him asking sort of his like reference points. There was, you know, language that I found really exciting particularly using uh, language like sort of the well of life, quote unquote, well of life as a kind of gender neutral God language. And I reached out to him to ask about it because I found it really moving and inspiring in that I had this sort of budding interest in queer and trans mikvah rituals. And so he directed me to Marsha Fox's work, who had been using and sort of uh, working with this idea of the well or the well of life as this kind of gender neutral God concept. And from there, I think my research just kind of flowered, like expanded outwards and was really kind of pivotal in my research. 
I want to ask you more about mikvahs, because in your artist statement, you write, quote, the mikvah focus work that I make is about carving out space for trans Jews and ritual practice, considering both why washing rituals are so attractive to trans Jews, but also what these objects might look like if they were designed for our body explicitly, end quote. Can you speak a little bit more about that connection between trans Jews and washing rituals? Sure. So I was sort of first introduced to kind of trans-specific mikvah ritual through um, a piece of liturgy and the kind of ritual design by Max Strassfield and Elliot Kukla called a mikvah ritual for trans-related surgery or any other transition. And I use that ritual in a gender transition-related moment in time in my own life. But I think that that specific ritual that I found via TransTorah, the organization TransTorah, really initiated this conversation for me around like why is mikvah a thing that trans Jews are actively working with and um, attempting to reclaim and utilizes a way to kind of affirm our bodies, affirm our Jewishness, mark a point in time. You know, I have a lot of ideas of why that might be. I obviously can't speak for other trans Jews, but for me, my understanding is in one sense, it's about water, water as this liminal transformational material that water exists as this fluid, flowing, evolving material. And so in the case of mikvah, also space, that water is sort of holding or sort of creating space. And by immersing in water, we're sort of breaking the surface of the water, this kind of like schism or sort of transitional space. But also the fact that mikvah historically is used both to shore purify the body but also, you know, say in more progressive circles used to like, say, mark a transitional moment. So I think that a lot of what queer and trans Jews are looking at with mikvah is a history or kind of a relationship to conversion rituals, specifically like converting to Judaism, that there's this sort of like immersion as a marking of time and space to enter this kind of womb-like environment and then to sort of break the surface again as a new person is a really, I think, profound way to engage something as life-giving and universal as water. And for me, when I was doing some early research I was looking at images of the mikvah space and thinking about the kind of tiled interior 
And as somebody who's been studying ceramics for a long time, had this kind of revelatory understanding that mikva, a tiled mikva, is in the language of ceramics. The tile is a ceramic material. And so I felt like I had another access point to to this ritual that I could think about it through the lens of the material practice that I study. And so I began to sort of like explore it as like an object, though I think in a lot of in a in a lot of halachic uh, like literature material discussion, the objectness of the mikvah is actually like a contentious point that it's like meant to be like built into the architecture of a space or, you know, ideally like a natural environment that like the the origin of the mikvah is like a flowing source of water. So the fact that it's been contained in an interior kind of ar- architectural space is, is only kind of an evolution of plumbing and uh, the kind of containment of the water. And so actually my relationship with mikvah is only in relationship to outdoor kind of natural sources, because I feel like as a trans person, it's a really precarious position to enter into a space that is so kind of gender and sex segregated. So whenever I've sort of done mikvah ritual, I just use an outdoor kind of um, naturally gender-neutral mikvah space. Leora, I want to ask you one last thing. So you put Nikki Green's piece, Sabbath Croc, in the same section as Joy Layden's poetry. Can you talk about how you see them in conversation with each other? I think that both Joy and Nikki are working at this intersection that Nikki mentioned, the intersection of Jewishness and queerness and transness. And both are also thinking about whether these identities are disparate or how they intersect each other. I think that Joy's poems describe the effects of fearing her self-expression, fear of change, fear of cruelty or violence and self-loathing and shame. I read Ready and Changing the Subject as describing relationships with family and of struggling with just being seen. And I think that Nikki also addresses this struggle with visibility. She describes the ongoing process of creating safety for herself, both through her practice and by being visibly Jewish and trans. So both of them are both of them are talking about visibility as well. Um, and I would also add that the strength that both of these artists bring to the subject is another commonality. Joy shows us a lot of pain and struggle, whereas I think that this piece by Nikki is is mostly hopeful and um, futuristic. Do you have anything to say about that? About about your piece in conversation with Joy's poetry? I find these parallels to be really interesting to consider. I think that any kind of engagement with transness and Jewishness feels exciting to me. I think that there is very little of it and it and it actually feels like a, I would say not just a trans practice, but actually like quite a queer practice of sort of not seeing yourself reflected in the world around you. And so needing to look deeply creatively at that world to interpret what you're seeing as queer 
maybe not inherently queer, but um, queer in the sort of context. And I think that when there are moments or practices that are visible of other people threading these identities into each other, one is offered the kind of reprieve from kind of needing to dig and really, really search deeply for that sort of point of connection. And so Joy's work does that for me. It feels like this kind of reprieve and this aha moment of understanding how transness and how Jewishness could potentially intersect or how they do intersect for her. I think that my work is specifically about forward-looking or sort of maybe not entirely forward-looking, looking back for sure, but also imagining possibilities moving forward. And so I think I think about the work as almost like, I'll say things like, like a neo-historical object or like a historical object for the future, this, this idea that the work that I'm making, particularly in ceramic as this kind of permanent material, could become a kind of artifact of my life, my experience. And, and I think kind of what I mentioned earlier, I, this idea that for me, my art practice is often a way of proposing something that doesn't exist. And so I get a lot of questions about like, you know, oh, does the mikvah work? Could you put pickles into that Sabbath crock? And I think that the answer is always like, quite possibly, but that's not really the point. The point is bringing it into the world and sort of proposing this, sort of offering an opportunity for this object to be materialized and to imagine what it might be like to share space or to experience what it feels like to share space with these objects. And then their functionality almost comes second, which is a complicated thing for a practical kind of functional material practice. So much of ceramic work is about the functionality of the forms. And I'm much more interested in in the proposal, the kind of wishful thinking of bringing the object into the world and sort of seeing what it feels like to, to witness its materializing. And I think that Joy is doing that as well. I, I understand the language that that you've sort of put forth about like, the kind of anxieties of moving through the world as a trans person, the kind of self-loathing of engaging a trans experience. And also Laverne Cox talks a lot about like not role model, but like possibility model to sort of see the possibility of a person creatively engaging the intersections of your identities makes it feel real and possible to exist in the world and I guess to not just exist but to thrive and sort of push forward okay I have one last question for you so you brought up 
mushrooms earlier and and fungi, you said in your artist statement that you make a lot of work about the Nazi era metaphor of the poisonous mushroom. What is that concept and how have you used it in your work and, and what's it been like to, to work with, with that kind of thing? So the reference point that I'm using is a book from 1938 called The Poisonous Mushroom that was produced in Germany as a children's book that really functioned as, um, I would say, a field guide of how to recognize Jewish bodies in a Aryan society. And so the entire book are anecdotes about how a Jewish person and specifically how like a German Jewish person or how like an Ashkenazi body operates in the world and how to identify that Jewishness. And there's a lot of toxicity in that for obvious reasons. But when I found that book kind of randomly while I was doing research, I had been thinking about and really wanting to explore queerness, transness, and Jewishness as this kind of organic and almost like kind of proliferating concept. And fungus felt like this exciting way to explore that idea. In the book, In the Poisonous Mushroom, the kind of opening narrative is a child foraging for mushrooms with his mother and he like picks a mushroom and says like can I eat this and the mother says no you can't eat that because it might be poisonous and you might die and you can't just eat any mushroom you find just like you can't trust every person you meet because they might be Jewish and I think for me what really jumped out to me is both the metaphor of the Jewish body as a mushroom but primarily this relationship to visibility and passability, which is like a huge discussion in trans communities. And I would say a particularly relevant discussion for trans women who are receiving like a significant amount of violence out in the world. So there's this really complicated relationship to passing, passability, how to kind of move through the world safely. And this discussion of the poisonous mushroom as this entity that could say, quote unquote, like hide in plain sight or pass as Aryan, but is actually not Aryan, is really kind of engaging a fluctuating visibility, a kind of relational shifting understanding of of a body in the world and its sort of legibility and it feels really connected to to transness so to me this felt like a link one might even say this is like mycelium right like the kind of underground network of threads that connect the fruiting bodies of the mushrooms to each other this is like um a a point where for me, transness and Jewishness intersect each other. And I think as a trans person and as a queer person, so much of my political engagement, political sort of awareness 
is intersecting with or is exploring this idea of um, anti-assimilationist values and politics. And, and so what does it mean really to take on poisonousness as, as a empowering um, way of being in the world? The um, activist group, the Lesbian Avengers um, slogan was, we recruit. And this idea that like mushrooms shoot spores out into the world and create this kind of proliferating, uncontrollable organism that is reproducing constantly and asexually, it feels like this really kind of exciting metaphor for queerness and transness that is from my origin point or from like my understanding of this metaphor's or point inherently connected to Jewishness. And so it allows me to talk about proliferating life and aliveness, both through queerness and through Jewishness, without necessarily needing to talk about either one explicitly. I get to also just talk about fungus, which is like such a cool thing, such a cool opportunity. Well, Nikki Green, it's been really nice talking to you. Um, Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It's been really fun getting to chat with both of you. Yeah, that's Nikki Green, a transdisciplinary artist working primarily in clay. Her work, Sabbath Croc, is featured in the Queer Life section of Offense Around the Torah. Um, Again, Nikki, thanks for joining us. I've also been joined by Leora Ostroff. Leora Ostroff is curator in residence here at the Jewish Museum of Maryland and was the curator of Offense Around the Torah. Leora Ostroff, thank you for joining us. Thank you both. Thank you so much for listening to Disloyal. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and we'd love to hear your feedback. Our email address is disloyal at jewishmuseummd.org. You can follow us on Twitter at jewishmuseummd or on Instagram at jewishmuseum underscore md. And if you're in Baltimore, come visit. Go to jewishmuseummd.org for more information and to become a member if you're interested in supporting content like this podcast. Visit offensearoundthetorah.com to check out our latest art exhibit. Disloyal is a production of the Jewish Museum of Maryland, and it's produced and hosted by me, Mark Gunnery, with production assistance from Naomi Weintraub, the Jewish Museum of Maryland's community artist in residence. Our executive director is Saul Davis. You can subscribe to Disloyal wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes each Friday. Until next time, take care.